0: Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, do you choose wines because you like them?
1: Um, sure. Doesn't
0: everybody? No, you are wrong. Wrong,
1: wrong, wrong. <laughs> uh, at least that's
0: what one writer says. He okay. says, in essence, most of us should let critics tell us what wines are good and what we should drink. And why is that? I don't know. You know, I, I read his thing and the logic was so <laughs> twisted I couldn't tell. I think it comes down to c- comes down to this. He wants to keep his job writing about wine, and plus, people keep calling him a snob, and he had to whip up a defense.
1: Well, of course, yeah. Yep. Who would do such a thing? Uh, it's, well, could be you. <laughs> <laughs> also today,
0: listeners ask whether there's a difference in the type of oak difference to the wine. Yeah. Why? Why writers recommend wines you can't find? Uh-huh. How climate change is affecting wine? That's actually a long story. <laughs> and 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 what you should do if your cork breaks in the bottle. Cry. Which is, yeah, that's the first thing. I just break the whole bottle. Uh, <laughs> plus, our horrible wine rating is completely useless as usual, but yes. it includes chess pie. <laughs> it does, and of course, as you also as usual, we will be making fun of wine snobs, especially the ones who defend wine snobs and eat chess pie. And each well, chess pie is not the whole no. worst thing, but all right. By the way, a couple of reminders. Yes, yes, yes. Capital Public Radio
1: has not evicted us yet. It's amazing. I mean, we're sitting here that and there, that, there are, are there seem to be uh, a crowd of people with with sticks and stones outside the studio, but so far no. we're still here.
0: Yes, and but they have actual professional radio on this place and somehow
1: they're putting <laughs> and, us and on somehow the we air yep. we're in there.
0: And we're also on uh, Napa Broadcasting?
1: Yes. Yep. Comes out of Napa Valley College. Absolutely. Napa Valley College, number one rated college in California. Yeah. Actual professional teachers? Yes. And, and then, me. and then they got you. <laughs>
0: yep. Yep. That, yeah, yeah. So that's what, that happens if you load up, if you get your team, you can always have one week bat in the lineup, I guess. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
1: Pinch runner. Pinch runner. Okay.
0: <laughs> don't forget look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Rick and Paul. White. Go there, ask us a question anytime. <laughs> All right. So today we're going to address some questionable answers by a pretty well known wine writer who said he was addressing questionable comments Good. Uh, about wine. And these were just things that he brought up about wine, comments about wine that annoyed him. Uh, they're just things people. These were just things people say, but apparently he took it all personally. Paul, I'm thinking, yeah, because this piece reads like a person trying to argue that people should still read his stuff, and then he's unjustly under fire for being irrelevant. Yeah, and yeah. You, you wrote him a fairly detailed email, so we're going to use that to and sort of reenact this.
1: Well, I just, yeah, I I felt like he was saying, here's what people say, and here's why they're wrong, and I sort of felt like. People needed somebody to speak up for him
0: Well, and I, I read, I read what you wrote him, and uh, and uh, it pains me to say this, but it was pretty good. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was good. That hurt a little bit. <clears throat> Sorry. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. So uh, i I'll, I'll sort of set it up, and then Paul can can take it and running. Here's the first thing the writer said. He said he was annoyed that people complain about wine snobs and that people say wine snob trade the wine trade is full of snobs he said and this is his quote. The wine snob may not be completely dead, but he's living in a care home on life support and doesn't get out all that often these days so you are unlikely to run into him. I'm going to let Paul take it from there. But I'll just say this. Anyone who runs in a wine stop, anyone? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah? It is radio, Rick, you yeah. realize. Well, huh? I just raise my and,
1: hand. And to be fair, he's talking about the trade. But I think there's a key element here, too, that he misses, which is, people aren't going to be a snob to him because they're afraid of him. Yes, because he's a writer and he reviews wines. And yeah, but they will be a snob to other people. So I just said, you know, a snob isn't someone who's knowledgeable. A snob is someone who believes that their more extensive knowledge makes them a superior person and then uses that knowledge to make other people feel bad. Yep. And that's that has no business in any business. And there are plenty of those who do that with wine.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, we, we talk so often about like the psalm who sort of disparages somebody's wine choice. The
1: question we had just last week yeah, was yeah, well, I ordered, I asked for a wine and then the sommelier acted like I would, I'd peed on the carpet or yeah, something. Yeah. yeah. And, By the
0: way, when you do that, Paul, it's really embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I try not to do it in public, but okay. you know. Right. But... I'm going to say every consumer has ever expressed an opinion about how much they like a wine sooner or later is going to be able to tell a story about how somebody came along and told them that that yeah, wine yeah, is yeah. really not very good and they shouldn't like
0: all it. Right. And all you need to do, if, by the way, is if if you're – like anybody who is – uh, whether it's Facebook or just, you know, read some of the blogs out yeah. there. You know, there's always this stream of people who are going to tell you rolling their eyes, you know, in writing about some yeah. regions, oh, some wines, some some kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chardonnay. Yeah, Chardonnay. That's Chardonnay. Poor Chardonnay. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, so here's the writer again. This is another thing. He said the second annoying thing is that people assume that if you have any wine expertise, I like this people. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like he's setting up so, a straw man. Sounds in like here. someone yes. we know. People yes, say. it does. Yes. You no longer have the ability to understand how normal people experience wine, which, by the way, he is demonstrating, but that's a different issue. <laughs> this <laughs> yeah. effectively sidelines the experts and leaves the field open for populists. Oh, God, no. Oh, no. Yes. Yeah. By the way, he makes populists his straw man here as he he pretends they're they're doing it to him. And a populist, according to him, is someone who says, drink what you like. And he says, they hate experts. Yeah. When do we hear that kind of rhetoric, right? They They hate
1: something. They hate something. The only thing I would say is that um, populists um, may or may not add something to the equation, but When you have someone who is an expert and who is taking offense by people disagreeing with him and suggesting that maybe he could have the wrong opinion, who cares? If he's an expert, he knows he's right, and he should just— Carry on, but yeah. why pick fights like this? I don't get it. Well, I, I'm also, I mean, first off, he doesn't even get to have the, the
0: definition of populist, right? What right. he's thinking is he's trying to, a populist is somebody who's trying to find something that people will react to to mobilize them to do something,
1: right? What, what the, yet the right. person he's complaining about it says, hey, do whatever you want, do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah we're not trying to organize anything. You know, any time a, a wine region or a particular style of wine gets popular, the number of experts mm. who come out and tell you how wrong it is, how you really should expand beyond that, how you—the fact that you like that just shows that you haven't tasted enough other stuff. Sorry, that's not helpful. I remember one of our,
0: uh, our our least favorite wine writers who had, and we read a review from him not so long ago when he right. was saying that. Um, Although it it's popular, I forced myself to try it, and it wasn't bad. I mean, that was sort of the the, the region. He was talking about a region, yeah, right? But yeah, right. So yeah. I mean, he had to like he had to scrunch up and you know knuckle down or right. whatever it is, and and, and I mean go it, this gets back to that yeah. you know
1: the what consumers want in wine is smooth, right? And then you've got you know famous wine writer who interviews a bunch of sommeliers, and they all point out why smooth is not. A thing. And right. that consumers don't know what smooth is. Right. And boy, when I start hearing experts explain that consumers don't know what smooth is, S- Rick, I know what smooth is. It's like the top of your head. It's, it's not it's rough. Smooth. It's yes. smooth. Well, I shaved this morning. Well, there you go. The, the
0: uh, And, you know, the other part of it, too, is that, that that it's the, well, and once you have some knowledge, people hate you. No.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> no. When you have knowledge and you're unpleasant to people, yes. then they can hate you. Yes,
0: and you don't have to have knowledge for them to hate you in that case. <laughs> Take yeah. it from Rick. Yes, that's right. They, people hate me and I don't know anything. <laughs> so, that's probably good. Alright, and and finally, all the logic from here it goes through like a pretzel machine. Not that, that other was other, his first part was any good, but this is the third thing he says. The third thing is when any criticism of wine is ruled illegitimate because it's rubbishing the tastes of those who enjoy that wine. Stated like this, it sounds a silly thing to say, but surprisingly Widely held viewpoint, especially by wine
1: populists. There well, you go. You know um, when when criticism rubbishes the taste of people. Then fair enough. But I think that whoever rubbishes the taste of people should be prepared for those people to say, go jump in a lake. Right. You're a, a s-
0: clown. And as we say, especially about something like wine,
1: uh, you get to like what you like. You do get uh, to like uh, what yes. you like. And, well, and, you know... I, especially, I, remember our last show where we were talking about the fact that not only cultural upbringing, but even genetic differences mean that we perceive different flavors and different aromas differently from other people? Right. And here's somebody who knows about All and and just
0: simply tells you that if it's popular, it's bad, or won't write about it. And you know, step sideways for a second, as you have mentioned more than once, and in fact, you did in your uh, email, is that my former job for uh, a number of years was I was a national television critic for the Sacramento Bee and the McClatchy News Chain. And my job was to help people understand what was going on. I couldn't, if there was a very
1: popular show like Oh Say Friends or Seinfeld or The West Wing, you name it, your job was not to go on there and tell everybody how terrible it was. So they could watch something that you could only get on channel 143 if you had the triple cable Uh, extension. Yes, exactly right. Yeah,
0: and you know, but my job was to uh, to explain the show. Tell people about it. Tell them what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Tell them, you know, mm-hmm. I get to say whether they're successful at that sort of thing, but I don't, you don't, you don't rubbish it, right. and and uh, and then you let people decide. And you understand that that there's a reason why people like it. And often what you do is as a as especially a medium like television is talk about why it's connecting to you, to mm-hmm. other folks, mm-hmm. and yep. that's often helpful. And I I did remember writing early on, dear God, it goes to show how old I am. Why some reality shows are really connecting, and you know. Know, right. And for folks who didn't like reality shows, it was actually a, a somewhat helpful column. And I know you don't hear me say that much about myself because I rarely am. But... <laughs> <laughs> you were helpful. Yeah, Rick, but, that's and so that's what, that. So, so, Mr. Weinreiter, that's what we're asking for you. Why don't you yeah. just describe that wine or tell yeah. us what's in it
1: or why or why, where it came from or something. Well, and you know, one of the things we talk about is at these lower price points, people do really get uh, brand loyalty. Yeah, but yeah. above that... Uh, most people don't buy wine based on flavor alone. There are all those other factors, cultural factors, the label, all the rest of this stuff. It's an expression of their personality. And writing endlessly only about flavor, as if that's the only reason people buy wine, does in fact indicate to me that he is out of touch with the average consumer.
0: Yeah, and if you ask people often what it is that they are looking for in a wine— Yeah. Generally, it's going to be a texture question. Texture question, not an aroma. And and price. Yep. And maybe maybe some story about it. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I'll always love this wine because it's what my husband and I drank when we got engaged. And you know what? It doesn't taste as good as something else. That person will never recognize that. And don't. They shouldn't have to.
0: And that's really their question. And and you talked about that in your letter about the question really people would
1: have about wine office is, so what, what yeah. should I drink? Yeah. Well, we- you know, it's weird. As a, I was trained as a musician. And when people talk about music with me, they always tell me what they love. I right. really love this. I yes. really love that. They find out I'm in the wine business. They're afraid to talk about wine yes. with me. And yes. so they say, what should I drink? They want my right. advice instead of telling me what they love. Right. That's because we've trained them that way in the wine business. We have trained them that way. We have told people the, they need to get educated. Right. That's the, the, the music, wine
0: trade that he was defending there. Yeah. And, and the yeah.
1: music business doesn't say that. The music right. business doesn't say you need to get educated to understand music. They just say dance.
0: And think about it. that's a nice line. I, 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 I once again look at that. Compliment you twice.
1: I Geez, in one show. Oh, my time, better, Anthony, time to cut.
0: <laughs> We're done here. But
1: you know, if you
0: think about that. <laughs> joy of those conversations that we all have with friends about some band we saw or something we saw long ago or like, yeah. or sometimes yeah. you just get in those conversations about music or movies or all those yeah. other things, you know, but we don't have those about wine because we're, we're all, because we, if so many you people tell anybody to,
1: about a wine that you had that was good and that person has any element of snobbism, they will tell you that they had an older version uh, that was really a lot better.
0: I, have, I, this is a guy you know, I know. I'm not calling a friend. But this is a guy I know that, no matter he always tells me I, if I just mention any wine, he'll find it as a reference point to talk
1: about some something rare and expensive wine that, that he yeah just that had, you, you haven't did, had. Yeah. yeah. Whereas when you tell people that you went to a concert by the Stones, they will say, "Oh, so did I, and it was so cool." Right. Yeah. But yeah, you talk yeah. about a wine, and somebody will immediately try to one up you on the wine. Right.
0: Right. So, uh, you know the what in all of that in all of that you have to listen to me i'm an expert and don't make fun of experts and, and and don't be popular what is there's none of that gets anything about the actual joy of wine right people like that's the right. taste of wine people that's like right. the
1: stories of wine That's right. and and get out of the their social way social lubricant them. it should be fun your job is to help them and to is it fun that's, that's my right. question well yes
0: kind of like us
1: do we have fun
0: we well are
1: we fun we have fun. We have fun. We have fun. I don't know that we're fun for anybody else, but
0: apparently we're fun enough for a couple of people because they've asked us questions. Excellent. So we're going to take some right now. Uh, once again, if you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name the social media. Well, actually, actually look, that's all the only ones. Yeah, on. don't do, that. Don't do but,
1: that. But those, Just those. Those, yeah.
0: And, and, uh, all right. So, uh I'm still reliving uh, now a more, about a month ago or so your glory uh, trip to New days in New York. In I, New I, York. I, so this was uh, uh, actually a, a very good friend of mine uh, who lives in Long Island uh, named Kevin, and uh, he he asked this question: the wine writer from newspaper name, so we don't get sued. Finally, wrote about wines I can afford. Good. This is Kevin talking. They were everyday wines under twenty dollars, but I looked I looked most of them up, and I couldn't find them at all. And some others were in one. Little wine shop in Manhattan, remembering he lives in Long Island. Right. How does it make them every day? Plus, isn't 1999 still high for every day?
1: So two questions there. One of them is what is an everyday wine in terms of price? And then the other one is why is the wine writer writing about all these obscure wines? We kind of answered the second question already, which is wine writers absolutely love to point you in directions that are obscure and difficult to find because it shows off how much they know. It doesn't actually help you find the wine, but it does show off how much they know. So that's a good thing from them. Especially if you're writing for a major
0: newspaper that's got some circulation outside of your little town of Manhattan. Right. And you probably ought to help people find that Find the
1: one. Now, the question about how much you spend on everyday wine, I do this wonderful uh, question in my class where I ask my students to don't talk to anybody else, but just write down on a piece of paper how much you have to pay to get a serious bottle of wine. No definition, just how much do you have to pay. And it's wonderful because the answers range from about 12 to $15 up to $75 to $100. Which, and of course, then I explained that the definition of serious is that it's a wine that puts a serious expression on your face when you pull out your wallet. (laughs) Because an everyday wine is not a serious wine. So an everyday wine is wine you're willing to buy on a regular basis. And when you get outside of that price point, then it's a serious wine because it hurts to pay that money. And so to Kevin's point here, for him... $19.99 Nineteen ninety nine is not every day. That's a more serious wine. I argue, and he from, would, I
0: argue for most people that's a serious wine.
1: Well, it is because yeah. the average price of a bottle of wine in the United States is somewhere around $7. Right. So if that's an everyday wine, then $20 is a serious wine. And Kevin's right to say, wow, if, if that's an everyday wine, what are they drinking on special occasions? And the answer is they're drinking hundred dollars bottles of wine, but most people aren't, including Kevin.
0: Yes, well, and and often the wine writers are drinking those bottles of wine because— They didn't pay for they them. They didn't pay for them. That's exactly right. Yep. All right. This next one is from Rachel in Lodi. She says, it seems like when I go wine tasting around here, one um, of the wineries will tell me how great it is that they use French oak. Then another wine will say they're great because they use American oak. Then someone else will say from uh, oak from, I don't know, a former Soviet republic or something. <laughs> yeah.
1: Is there a difference? Does it matter? <laughs> Slovakian, Slovenian, Slavonian. They're all kinds of oak. The SL oaks. And I actually uh, have an intern staying with us right now who's from Armenia who says that in Armenia they use French oak and American oak and Armenian oak. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the truth is that every – not just every country but every forest pretty much – uh, has a slightly different flavor characteristics in the oak, although a lot of those may have to do with how the oak is treated afterwards. Absolutely. So there are delicate differences, but at the same time, that ask any winemaker to taste four barrels of wine, one after the other, and all four of them will be slightly different because the oak is a natural product, comes from trees, and each barrel is going to have a slightly different character. So... Yeah, some winemakers may think, ooh, I want to use a little more of this flavor, a little more of that flavor. But it's really like asking a chef, you know, do you want to put in a full tablespoon of cinnamon in the recipe? Or should it really be seven-eighths of a tablespoon or three-quarters of a tablespoon? I'm not
0: a big cinnamon guy. I just say overspice. Yeah,
1: Yeah, okay. So those winemakers are making decisions. They talk a lot about, well, I prefer this. But in the end, the decision is usually made not only by what they buy, but also how they blend it later. Right.
0: Well, that's the other thing that's going on too is that they're you know they're they're not just letting um, putting the
1: wine in a barrel and
0: let it sit there. And no, they're moving around. And, you know, and it's, well, and it's they'll, put, they'll
1: put they'll put seventy percent of it in one kind of oak and then they'll put another little bit in some older oak that doesn't have much flavor and they'll put a little more in a stainless steel tank in case they give it too much oak they can freshen it up a little bit and then they blend it all back together and say yeah well it was in French oak well not exactly and they promise
0: 100% of French oak first of all there's not a requirement on that the way there is on a grape where you say it's 100% of a grape Right. Um, but the second thing is that there's not not the exact same barrel there are different barrels even from the same barrel maker. It's still, but, there's still going to be slightly different trees, slightly different to me, the,
1: To me, uh, Rachel has really hit on something really important here, which has nothing to do with oak, which is— My wine's best. Well, the, everybody says their wine's best, yeah. but none of these people are telling them why they make the wine. They're yeah. telling them how they make the wine, but they're not telling them why they make the wine. And the truth is, everybody makes wine Pretty much the same way. The difference between these different oaks, I'll be honest, is pretty hard for most people to taste. Why aren't they talking about the bigger picture of what it is that their wine really stands for? Well,
0: you know, there's a reason for that. Uh, it's not a good do, one. They don't know. No, well, there's that, and they probably in many cases that's probably true. But the other part is that it's become part of the lexicon. Going back to our knuckleheaded writer, you know that this guy wants people to talk about wine the way he does.
1: Everybody wants to know what the oak is, and
0: and that's the kind of the thing that gets taught about. This is what you should do: educate your customer instead of instead of instead of telling
1: your customer how much fun it is to drink this wine and why.
0: That's what I say. So
1: okay, so you're really, right. Rachel, I'm with you, Rick. Don't
0: don't worry about it. And if it's from a former Soviet republic, they might have good stories. <laughs> I'm just All right, well, that's it for questions for now. We'll have more in just a bit. Uh, you're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, of course. Then up next is one of our favorite parts of the show. Yes, it is some really horrible wine writing.
1: Yep, yep, yep. Okay, and we were already. Talking a little about horrible wine writing, but this is a different kind. So yeah, here's yeah. something. That this 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 should do it right here for you, Rick. This is on a shelf of a wine store to help you decide whether to buy this particular Cabernet huh? out of a selection of probably 100 a hundred different Cabernets yep. on the yep. shelf, yep. and it said. Dark fruit okay. with notes of cassis and tobacco, okay. full body, uh-huh. medium tannins, and a finish with fruit and oak and some vanilla. So that,
0: what you're saying is this is tastes like every one of those other 100 Cabernets.
1: Exactly like all 100 Cabernets.
0: <laughs> those yes. are... Even the cassis, your favorite. one of my your favorite descriptors. Yeah, yeah, if yeah you, wine terms. You go, you know, walk down the street and ask somebody, what does cassis taste like? And the yeah. only two people who know will tell you how horrible <laughs> it is, but that's beside the point. It's, uh, it's a liqueur. Uh, 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 red currants, right? Black currants. Black currants. I always black currants. Anyway. Black
1: currants. Nasty stuff. Uh, yeah. I Well... I, uh, but the fact that nobody knows what it is ba- means it's a meaningless yes. term ba- for most people. It is true. A description. Uh,
0: my cassis story back when I was uh, taking wine tests, and I didn't know what this stuff smelled like. So I had a bottle on the counter, and you know, you smell oh, yeah. it, and you smell yeah. it. And my wife would like not let—I she could could not open it when she was in the room
1: because <laughs> this stuff smells so
0: nasty. Excellent. Uh, if you don't Excellent. like it.
1: Um, so, yeah, that's right. So there it is. It's dark fruit. Cassis and, and tobacco, full body, medium tannins, and a finish and, with fruit and oak.
0: Yes. Thank you, store, for helping me out yes. here,
1: right? Yes. Right, right. Dark fruit. Okay.
0: Well, I have, uh, as is often the case, I've got one of them that's in the other Go, side of the coin. Yes. <laughs> overboard, yeah, man this, overboard. This one is one, too. So it's brown brick red color. <laughs> that's pretty much all of them. Yes, <laughs> uh, yes. All the colors a red wine could be. Kay. Brown brick red color, <laughs> el- elegant aromas and flavors of dried cherry, leather, chocolate, chicory, fragrant plum, chest pie, mint, bitter orange, and geranium. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> With what? a velvety, vibrant, dry yet fruity, light to medium, body, and a smooth, very complex, very long finish that shows accents of café latte, salted caramel, and veal charcuterie with a well-integrated silky tannins, an evolving new world nebule.
1: Okay. So, I can I just say one very short thing here, which is uh, any wine that smells like geraniums, actually, geraniol is a yes, technical it's flaw. it's a flaw. Right, right. Yeah, I knew where you are going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: But, uh,
1: Velvet, vibrant, dry yet fruity, light to medium body.
0: That's like everything. He's like everything. Wow. This is the everything color and the everything texture. Chess pie, mint and
1: bitter orange and geranium.
0: So chess pie, by the way, is, um, for folks who don't know, it's a, it's a southern thing. It's basically eggs, butter, sugar, cornmeal. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Um, and, and why would this guy come up with that? Uh, you know, I, I mean, really, how about a baked? Cr- pie crust that would well, that would work
1: but then, but then yeah and he's got chicory in there and, and how many people and, yeah right I, I i know they put it in
0: some coffee i've saw it in a commercial once <laughs> <laughs> so that's all we got yeah okay so well, and this is the guy that our, our wine writer earlier was def- – a kind of guy that our wine writer is defending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's not an expert. That's he's... an idiot. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, speaking of idiots, it's time for us two to take more questions. Yes. All right. So this one is from Emily in San Francisco. She says, I've been reading about the hot summer in Europe, and, and which it has been, and how climate change is affecting some wine regions there. Are they, they going to have to change what they do or what wines they make?
1: Well, Yes. I mean, the simple answer to the question yes. is yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I am there. There are some of the smartest people in Europe right now that are investing in vineyards higher up in the mountains, who are in different, invest, clones, different clones, different clones, and, and even different yeah. grape varieties yeah. Yeah. to adjust for the fact that the weather is getting hotter. Yep. And yeah, it's going to change everything. You know,
0: and uh, and just recently, for example, a union concerned scientist reported that the large increase, a large increase in hundred degree days, some of then some. Days above uh, 120, a Stanford scientist report says by 2040, half the vineyards in Northern California will not support wine grapes. Yeah. We've had the the hottest yeah. month on record just recently. And yeah. Each and the next one will be hotter. And the next one will be hotter. And, yeah. and And, you know, and for all of the problems that Northern California is having with um, climate change, it's worse in Europe. Yeah because it's yeah. a normally cooler region and those grapes are not not yep. at all designed for heat. That's right. So the yep. so the answer is yes, yes and yes, lots of things yes. are changing. Thank you Emily for, for
1: completely bringing this show. We are having such a good time I until that question. Wine, I need a glass of wine. I need a glass of wine too.
0: Well, uh, I would I would uh, ask Jerry and Folsom to um, to pour me one, but he's, he's asking got... what to do if you break a cork. <laughs> <He> says, <laughs> what are you supposed to do if you break a cork and you're trying to get it out? I think you heard you guys talk about some super duper technique once. I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> uh, do <laughs> you Excellent. just push it in and drink the wine anyway?
1: That's one of the options. Uh, Absolutely is one yep, of the options, yep. Jerry. Uh, the first option, depending on how uh, icy the ice water in your veins is, is to try to take that cork puller and very, very gently introduce the corkscrew into the remaining little piece of cork down in the neck. Very slowly. And very yeah. slowly and, and gently. turn it really lightly. And then if you can engage... Try to get that corkscrew in there as far as you can. And then as you pull up, you want to kind of push the cork up against the side of the bottle a little bit to give yourself a little more grip on Paul the cork. Paul is pulling the cork out right now, by the I way. Am. He's had and a fine job of it, <laughs> too, I have to say. <laughs> 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 um, so that's – yeah, the technique is, first of all, nerves of steel. Try to get that corkscrew into the last remaining bit. Uh, chances are about half the time, depending on how much of the cork is broken in there, you'll push it into the bottle. Chopsticks are perfect here. You just push the cork in. You hold it in. You can and and what I would do is rather than pouring out of the bottle, decant the wine. Yeah, pour it into another. Pour uh, it into, into an any any vessel. Another yeah. an empty wine bottle. Um,
0: you know, the, if, if there's lots of little bits floating around in there, you could Give use it to like a coffee filter. But you know, nah. I, 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 better for the wine not to and not worry about it. It's fiber. Yeah, or a tea strainer is yeah. even yeah.
1: even easier. Yes, yeah.
0: um, and if you yeah. right and if you're don't want to drink it, I'll help you. Yeah, Rick will be there. Uh, That's what I'm there for. Okay, well, that's why we're here. We're here to help you find new ways to drink wine, no matter what it tastes (laughs) or looks like. And so that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is the ever-patient Anthony Van Hook. Thank you, Anthony. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Thank you to the ever-patient Capital Public Radio for letting us use their studios and keeping us on their podcast. Yes. Don't forget, look for us on all that social. Ask us a question at at Rick and Paul. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's exactly opposite of what that writer said. Do drink what you like, and if you like something, what do you care what a bad critic thinks or us? Well, I don't care what you think. <laughs> Definitely don't care what we think. I don't care. <laughs> Neither one of us care what we think. No, that's right. <laughs> we I'm don't Rick think. and I'm Paul Wagner. <laughs> I don't even know if I think about that. But I care about that. And remember, <laughs> Paul, the best wines are the wines you drink with friends or us, especially with us.